Women around the world continue to express their solidarity with the women's marches here in the West. Jihan, a Yazidi woman in Iraq, told reporters, quote, I stood up and cheered when Scarlett Johansson highlighted the terrible injustice that Hollywood actresses are paid fewer millions than Hollywood actors simply because they don't draw as large an audience. Or at least I would have stood up and cheered if I hadn't been chained to the wall of the house where I'm being held as a sex slave by the same Islamist who slaughtered my children and my husband. I was feeling pretty bad about that, I admit, but now I realize it is nothing compared to the plight of American actresses. Women in Los Angeles may look wealthy and coddled and privileged and whiny and self-obsessed and narcissistic and self-obsessed and coddled and privileged and whiny, but who am I to judge? After all, I'm just a sex slave, unquote. In Yemen, housewife Thana Nawal told reporters how she reacted to Ashley Judd's I'm a nasty woman speech, saying, quote, I swear to Allah I would have applauded this nasty actress if my husband would not have beaten me for disturbing him. How terrible it is that Ashley Judd must have her period, which stains her favorite underwear. I fear this will even be a problem for me when I start to have my period, which might come as early as when I turn 12. Also, my heart bleeds for America's mistreatment of homosexuals by those who disapprove of them, which is almost like the Nazi Holocaust, except it leaves the homosexuals alive, which, of course, we would never do, unquote. Finally, Saudi housewife Hissa Malik says she was inspired by the fact that the co-leader of the Women's March was Palestinian-American radical Linda Sarsour, who believes in bringing Sharia law to America. Mrs. Malik said, quote, Linda Sarser has proudly proclaimed that we women here in Saudi Arabia get 10 weeks paid maternity leave. I have certainly had a lot of time to reflect on how lucky we are since I am serving a year in prison for posting online pictures of my husband raping our maid. This, of course, defamed my husband terribly by showing everyone the rape he was committing in the privacy of his own home. I am so glad Women's March leader Linda Sarser is seeking to bring Sharia to America because all those inspiring women in pussy hats would then be arrested as they deserve. Really, it would drive me crazy not to have Sharia if I were allowed to drive, unquote. Of course, the Women's March didn't just inspire women. When female marchers bared their breasts and dressed up as gigantic vaginas, it also inspired many 13-year-old boys who already believe who already believe women are gigantic vaginas with bared breasts, but were afraid that was just some stupid adolescent fantasy they were having until the Women's March proved that, no, on the left, it's reality. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. I guess I should review those illustrations before I start talking. That last one really cracked me up. All right, tomorrow is the mailbag. I should let you know. Hey, hey hooray. And so you've got to subscribe to thedailywire.com. For a lousy eight bucks a month, you get to ask your questions. We will answer questions. They are now guaranteed 100% correct. We've lost that little 0.3% or whatever it was uh, of error. Uh, we're now getting them all right, and they will change your life entirely, Some of sometimes for the better. 
Uh, also, I should mention it's January 31st, which means, as we all know, that this is the last day you can get my memoir on Kindle. The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ, is I think $2.99 uh, for one day only, one more day only, so you can buy it now. All right, back into the world of complete chaos and craziness uh, from our little island, our little floating, orbiting island of sanity here on the Andrew Clavin Show. It's like we're it's like we're kind of going around the earth and we see the fires and the flames, but we're fine. Everything is fine here. So we got to start with the news. Well, but let's start with the news. Sally Yates, the acting attorney general, uh, until Jeff Sessions is nominated, uh, would not enforce. Trump's order, she uh, Trump's or immigration order, the temporary ban on uh, ref accepting refugees. Seven countries, Muslim majority countries, were uh, were cited, and she says she sent out a note saying, "At present, I am not convinced that the defense of the executive order is consistent with the Justice Department's responsibilities, nor am I convinced that the executive order is lawful. For as long as I am the at acting attorney general, the Department of Justice will not present arguments in defense of the executive order unless until I become convinced that it is appropriate to do so. The act, the uh, important phrase there is for as long as I am the attack acting attorney general, which was not very long because here was Trump's response. You're fired. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't resist. We had to use that, right? I mean, you can't let that go. So now there's a new guy, Dana J. Boyente, the United States attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, has taken her place. First thing he did was rescind that order. Here's Trump's statement firing her. I love this statement. It's classic Donald Trump, you know. He said, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, has betrayed the Department of Justice by refusing to enforce a legal order designed to protect the citizens of the United States. Ms. Yates is an Obama administration appointee who is weak on borders and very weak on illegal immigration. At least we know he's writing his own stuff, you know. It's time to get serious about our, protecting our country. Calling for tougher vetting for individuals traveling from seven dangerous places is not extreme. It is reasonable and necessary to protect our country. So not only, you know, she shouldn't have been there in the first place. He should have gotten rid of her before. She's an Obama appointee. It was so easy. This, this kind of heroism uh, is so easy. She's in the wrong. Trump is in the right. There's no question about this. I mean, just imagine. Well, let's let Alan Dershowitz, the law professor, he, he explained this. Well, Sally Yates is a terrific public servant, but I think she's made a serious mistake here. This is a holdover heroism. It's so easy to be a hero, heroine when you're not uh, appointed by this president and when you're on the other side. She made a serious mistake. I think what she should have done is done a nuanced analysis of what parts of the order are constitutional, what parts are in violation of the statute, what parts are perfectly lawful. There's a, an enormous distinction between green card holders on the one hand people who are in the country and have to be thrown out on the second hand, and people who are simply applying to get visas. There is also a distinction between what's constitutional, what's statutorily prohibited, what's bad policy. This is very bad policy, yeah. but what's lawful. And I think by lumping all of them together, she has made a political decision rather than a legal one. See, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you know, they there's a lot of people playing this uh, tape of Jeff Sessions questioning Yates and saying, would you be willing to stand up to the president? And of course, the attorney general does have to stand up to the president when she thinks the president is doing something illegal, but that is not the case. And what Dershowitz said is there may have been illegal parts of this or mistaken parts of this she could have uh, struck, you know, stood up on, but she just stood up on the whole thing. That was a political decision. Also, this idea going around that this is like Nixon's Saturday night massacre is nonsense. I mean, Nixon wanted to fire he wanted to fire the special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, who was investigating him, and the attorney general refused to do it and quit 
He said, I cannot do this, so I quit, which would be the, that would be a, a thing of integrity to do. If Sally Yates had done that, nobody could argue with her. But what she did was showboating. It was ridiculous. And then somebody else fired. And finally, it was Bork, I think, who fired uh, Archibald Cox. And they got him back for it when they kept him off the Supreme Court. So, I mean, this is just like if Jeff Sessions got appointed and he said, you know, abortion law is in violation of the right to life. You know, the right to life is in our founding documents, and so, there, yes, the Supreme Court said that, you know, the abortion is a, a human right, but I'm not going to enforce that. We're not enforcing that anymore, and if any state violates that, we're not—you know, it would be ridiculous. You would have to get rid of him. He's just not—that would be a political uh, decision. But what I want to talk about a little bit is the, the atmosphere in the press that is being—that the press is trying to create and why they are trying to— create this. The New York Times, a former newspaper, reports on this firing, and they said they, their lead is in an escalating crisis for his 10-day-old administration. And if you read the front page of the New York Times, this is all it is. Shockwaves in immigrant communities. Foreign leaders ask, can we trust Trump? Here are headlines from, here's a headline from USA Today. Sessions faces Senate vote as Trump throws DOJ into chaos from 538. Politics podcast, chaos at the White House. Business Insider, a presidency in chaos. Legendary investigative journalist Bernstein, who's a, a lib. CNN, Trump move leads to confusion and chaos. There's chaos everywhere. It's just incredible chaos. And, and of course, Obama, after 10 days of keeping his mouth shut, you know, I, for a while, I couldn't even remember who the last president was. You know, I kept saying, I remember he was like this tall, thin guy. I can't, you know, what, what was his name? So I think Obama was getting a little bit upset about this because Trump has done so much in these 10 days that it's really easy to just forget Obama, who really, remember, Obama accomplished nothing. He accomplished. He, he passed like one law, and he passed fewer laws than any president in history. And all he did was these executive orders. So yeah, Trump hasn't done. There haven't been any uh, legislation in the first ten days here either. But it does have this appearance of really getting down to work and treating this like a job. So Obama had his guy sent out a statement. President Obama is heartened by the level of engagement taking place in communities around the country. So he loves the protests. Right? Citizens exercising their constitutional right to assemble, organize, and have their voices heard by their elected officials is exactly what we expect to see when American values are at stake. Obama fundamentally disagrees with the notion of discriminating against individuals because of their faith or religion, which this order does not do. But we'll get back to this in a minute. And this, by the way, is from the guy who pulled out of Iraq, so letting ISIS explode, who stood there with his hand up his fundament while, <laughs> while, the, while the Syria exploded into civil war. He took like very, very, until the last year, he took very, very few of the refugees in a situation he helped create, create while half a million people died. Trump has, as part of his executive order, he is trying to create safe spaces in Syria and in, in Muslim-controlled countries. It's a completely reasonable thing to do. And, and talking about the escalating crisis and the chaos, here is from Rasmussen. Most voters approve of President Trump's temporary halt to refugees and visitors from several Mid Middle Eastern and African countries until the government can do a better job of keeping out individuals who are terrorist threat. I mean, that's it's basic common sense. A new Rasmussen Reports national telephone and online survey finds that 57%, 57% of likely U.S. voters favor a temporary ban on refugees from Syria, Iraq, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen until the federal government approves its ability to screen out potential terrorists. 33% are opposed. So a third. So 57%. That's, that, you know, in America, that's a big percentage. That's a lot of people who agree. Okay. So... 
let's let's stop for a minute and just judge of this chaos. Where is this chaos coming from? Is there chaos? I mean, it doesn't sound like there's chaos if the president does something that 57 percent of the people approve of. But but we do have to admit this. <laughs> How can I put this? It was not smoothly done. I think I think we can say, you know, one of the things about Trump <clears throat> is he's a rude guy. He's a blustering, rude, loudmouth guy. And we like that when he's taking it out on the press and the people who have hogtied conservatives in our government with political correctness, with unfair coverage, with a blanket one-party you know, vision of what's going on. And so the Republicans are like shattered people. They're like trembling, traumatized children who are so afraid of opening their mouths, even when the voters support them, because they know the press and their donors are going to come after them, okay? So we like Trump because he breaks through that. He said, you know, you press, you're the most dishonest people, you lie, you lie, all the stuff. Great stuff. It's great stuff. But when you're doing something that's controversial, sometimes it takes a little, a little panache, just a little style, and he didn't have it. Here's Krauthammer describing why this was such a disaster. I mean, it is utterly ridiculous, first of all, to give no guidance as to what you do with somebody holding a green card. Then you change the guidance. You should have stated from the beginning, if you have a green card, this is, you're not going to be stopped. They were stopped. That should never have happened. So they this rushed was a, it's not they only rushed. that they rushed it, they did it in a terrible way. In theory, of course, you want to have a strengthened vetting process. A new administration should have the chance to review procedures. But you don't announce that you're going to all of a sudden have a new process and stop everybody who's already flying, already in the air with a valid visa and stop them when they land. I mean, the thing is, the head of the Department of Homeland Security was basically having a, in a plane, I think, having a conversation about this executive order when he looked up and saw Trump on TV announcing the executive order. So it does, it, you know, a little, little bit of chaos uh, from the administration, no question about it, a little bit of, uh, you know, incompetence. You know, my, my thing about this, though, is, like, if Trump— if Trump violates our basic freedoms, if he goes against the Constitution, if he does things as president that I would have uh, screamed if Obama did them because they are tyrannical and not in keeping with the separation of powers and all this stuff, then, then the argument that, oh, you know, the press said this about Obama and now they're being unfair, then that argument doesn't hold water. It doesn't always hold water to just compare Trump to to let Trump off the hook just because the press is unfair to them. But in the question of competence after 10 days in office, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm a little relaxed about this. Hey, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but come on over to thedailywire.com and get out your eight bucks and subscribe so you can ask questions, uh, any question you want, your personal life, your love life, your religion, politics. Answers are guaranteed 100% correct and guaranteed to change your life, possibly for the better. So after 10 days in office, you know, Trump is fuddling around a little bit with, the, you know, he's getting a lot done. And some of it is really great. I love the uh, executive order uh, saying that they've got to get rid of two regulations for every new one they put in and that the ultimate cost of regulation should be zero. That could revolutionize the country. A lot of good stuff happening, a lot of gleeful stuff. You know, this was turned out, it turned out to be kind of chaotically done. And of course, the left is playing off that. But tonight he's going to announce a Supreme Court 
pick, and they're going to have to get all hysterical again. It's going to be, oh, oh my God, another, you know, they're going to be painting tears on the Statue of Liberty again. Eventually, this has got to run out, you know. Eventually, people are going to get sick and tired of this. So let's get down a little bit to some of the reality of what's happening. Let's get down to the substance. You know, they keep talking about the inconvenience of this 109 people who were stopped in the air. And yes, of course, that's inconvenient. And I, you know, I hate it when there's inconvenience when I travel. Here's Newt Gingrich making the point that other people have been inconvenienced by not vetting people. Uh, we had eight years of Barack Obama, who was always willing to take risk for American lives on behalf of people we'd never met, uh, because anybody who wasn't an American somehow attracted Obama's compassion in a way that Americans didn't. You now have a president who really takes seriously uh, the tremendous threat of international terrorism and who is prepared to take steps that are, are very uh, tough-minded uh, and that are going to inconvenience some people. But let's be clear, the people in the Orlando nightclub who were killed, they were pretty inconvenienced. The people in San Bernardino who were killed at the Christmas party, they were pretty inconvenienced. Uh, the people in Berlin who were killed when a truck went into a Christmas market, they were pretty inconvenienced. Uh, I think we have to recognize that we as a country have the right to protect our own citizens and that that is precisely what this is aimed at. So we get down to the substance of the thing that a, a an, an executive order that 57 that's completely legal, that 57 percent of the people agree is a good thing, is, is sent out, needs to be done. You know, it's not it's not really that different from everything that's going on. And of course, the Democrats work up themselves into this emotional, uh, you know, uh, hysteria. And here, like, here's Chuck Schumer making his statement on the on the order. <laughs> and of course, here was Donald Trump's response. Guards, Dad. Hey, 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 Mama's boy. Mama's boy. I bet you're going to cry. Come on, Mama's boy. Let's see you cry. Come on. <laughs> now, here's the th you know, Schumer is out there saying, oh, I named my daughter, you know, Emma after Emma Lazarus. And I, you know, here's Schumer right after the election. He's Charles Schumer, the third ranking member of the Senate Democratic leadership on Tuesday, said it may be necessary to halt the resettlement of Syrian refugees in the United States. This is November, right? Schumer declined to take the option off the table ahead of a special briefing scheduled for Wednesday afternoon on the process that is now used to vet refugees entering the United States. We're waiting for the briefing tomorrow. A pause may be necessary. We're going to look at it. This doesn't, that doesn't sound to me like a man who's going to burst into tears when the pause actually comes. I mean, the whole thing about this immigration and the tears on this face and the, and the dreamers and all this stuff. Listen to this. This is from Larry Elder, the uh, guy who has a great show of his own on. Uh, Larry Elder put out clips from Harry. This is Bill Clinton first and then Harry Reid talking about illegal immigration. All Americans not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. If you break our laws by entering this country without permission and give birth to a child, we reward that child with U.S. citizenship and guarantee of full access to all public and social services this society provides. And that's a lot of services. Is it any wonder that two-thirds of the babies born at taxpayer expense at country county-run hospitals in Los Angeles are born to illegal alien mothers? 
So, I mean, the Statue of Liberty must have been sobbing when she heard that. That was the second voice was Harry Reid. We put up a picture of Trump, but that, that second voice was Harry Reid talking. I mean, you know, these guys are chameleons. They change with the tide to create, they create an atmosphere of emotional hysteria and chaos. This chaos meme is coming from the Democrats and it's being echoed. It's in the echo chamber of the media, okay? And they're even they're even cheating. You'll be shocked to know that the MSM is cheating with some fake news. Here is NBC. You know, yesterday uh, yesterday on Drudge it said NBC may become a conservative. They they hired uh, Megyn Kelly, so they may become a conservative news organization. I, I do not believe that story one little bit. I think it's more, much more likely that Megyn is going to come out and be a liberal broadcaster for M. NBC. NBC is so far to the left that there's just no way they're going to make that turn. I just don't believe it. So here's NBC cutting tape, okay? So Giuliani came out and made a statement. They're trying to, they have Trump, here's what you'll hear, Trump saying this is not a Muslim ban, which clearly it's not. Seven countries that were uh, picked out by the Obama administration as dangerous have had, have had their immigration privileges revoked, temporarily revoked until we can look at the vetting, uh, look at the vetting procedure. There are all these other Muslim-majority countries that are unaffected, so it can't be called a Muslim ban. So what they say is, here's Trump saying it's not a Muslim ban, and here's Giuliani looking like it actually is, contradicting him. Keep the microphone on, because I just want to talk over Amid the chaos, President Trump is defending his actions. Amid the chaos. The statement reading, to be clear, this is not a Muslim ban, as the media is falsely reporting. This is not about religion. This is about terror and keeping our country safe. But Trump's argument is seemingly contradicted by one of his advisors. Rudy Giuliani telling Fox News Trump consulted him and others. When he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up. He said, put a commission together. Show me the right way to do it legally. Okay, now here's what Giuliani actually said. Here's the whole quote. When he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up. He said, put a commission together. Show me the right way to do it legally. I put a commission together. And what we did was we focused on, instead of religion, danger. The air areas of the world that create danger for us, which is a factual basis, not a religious basis. Perfectly legal perfectly sensible, and that's what the ban is based on. It's not based on religion. So this is all about, I mean, they just edited the tape to make him say something utterly different than he said. This is all about creating an atmosphere, creating a narrative, and uh, the narrative is chaos, the narrative is bigotry, right? It's a Muslim ban, and everybody's in chaos. Never mind that 57% of the people, what was it, 56, 57% of the people support it. Never mind that only a small number of people probably supported by George Soros, who is an anti-American, uh, are demonstrating. Never mind any of that. A little bit of a rocky rollout causing some, you know, chaos and confusion. Okay, he, Trump has to take the heat for that. But this, the substance of what is happening is nothing. Now, in every narrative, you need a villain. This is one of the things that conservatives are really, really bad about. Remember Mitt Romney? Oh, I'm sure Obama is a lovely man. I'm sure Obama is a lovely man. He's just do. I just disagree with him. Stupid way to run a political campaign. 
you know, you don't have to call the guy names, but you got to show that he is not a lovely man. Obama is not a lovely man. He may be a charming man, but he is not a lovely man. He was doing bad things. You got to turn that guy into Darth Vader. I mean, you don't see that. You know, you don't see Han Solo going, well, Darth Vader is a lovely man. We just happen to disagree. You know, it's like he's the villain of the piece. When you're telling a story, you need a villain of the piece. You know, what would it be like? You know, what would, what would that movie be like? You know, like, you know, Octo, what's the guy's name from Spider-Man? Octo guy. You know, like, yeah, he's a lovely guy. You know, he's, and he's crippled with eight metal arms, you know, but, but he's a decent person. I, we just happen to disagree. The left knows they need a villain, and they've chosen Steve Bannon. He's the evil white supremacist guy, and now he's on the NSC, and this is a terrible thing. And listen, I really have questions about why Steve Bannon is a principal on the NSC. You know, that, that really does—I do not see why he is that important to the presidential briefing. But now what they're doing is they're saying he is the, the New York Times, a former newspaper, had a story today. He is the real president. He's the, you know, Bannon's the real president. Trump is just sitting there, you know, he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's watching old reruns of, you know, the, the uh, of himself on television, you know, and uh, it's really Bannon who's running, is, who's running the country. Listen to this story for just a minute. And see, there are two words missing from the story. Two words are missing from the story. See if you can guess what it is, okay? Here's from the New York Times. Plenty of presidents have had prominent political advisors, and some of those advisors have been suspected of quietly setting policy behind the scenes. Recall Karl Rove, or if your memory stretches back far enough, Dick Morris. But we've never witnessed a political aide move as brazenly to consolidate power as Stephen Bannon, nor have we seen one do quite so much damage so quickly to his putative boss's popular standing or pretenses of competence. First of all, Trump's popular standing is going up. That's the first thing. Second of all, what two words are missing from that story? What two words? Valerie Jarrett. So there are people who have been suspected of quietly setting policy behind the scenes, Karl Rove, Bush's guy, Dick Morris, Clinton's guy, but Valerie Jarrett, who was repeatedly on the right, we kept saying, she's really the president, she's really setting policy, she's the Muslim who's, you know, telling, whispering in his ear all this time. I'm not saying that wasn't paranoid. It may have well have been paranoid. I'm just saying that Obama exists for these people in a cloud of absolute perfection, okay? So why are they doing this? Why, what's the point? If his popularity ratings are, are holding, if people support the policy, why are they doing it? Who is it aimed at, right? It's not going to convince anybody that, you know, nobody, who reads the New York Times? Like six guys on 57, they all live on 57th Street between Fifth Avenue and Madison, you know? It's like, you know, that's who reads the New York Times. It's aimed at the Republicans, it's aimed at the guys that Trump needs to get his support. They're going to have to support his uh, cabinet picks. They're going to have to support his Supreme Court pick. These are the guys, they, and they know, they know that they tremble in their boots when the press comes after him, even when the people are for them. Why? Because they're don't, you know, look, we're in the middle of a revolution. A revolution is a dangerous thing. This is like it's not a it's not an armed revolution, and I don't want to overstate it. I don't you know I don't like this these war metaphors, but it is a political revolution to use Bernie Sanders' phrase. <clears throat> we were we were on this nice, steady, even keeled, orderly march to global governance by experts. That's where we were going. You know, they would they would take a a, um, a vote on the EU, should we join the EU, and people would say no, and they'd take the vote again. They'd just take it again until they finally got one guy over the line, and then you were in the EU, and when you went out, oh my God, the world was on fire. If you tried to leave the EU, 
oh, Lord, what have you done? You know, then it's panic. This nice, we were on this nice orderly progression to global governance by experts in Brussels, by experts in Washington. And suddenly the people said, Uh, Not so much. You know, this is not going that well. This Syrian civil war, that's the experts did that. The elite did that. You know, the Syrian civil war, all these people sweeping into our countries, raping women in Cologne, all these people who make it so in Paris. I mean, this. why people aren't outraged about this, I don't know. There, there are neighborhoods in Paris, Paris where a French woman cannot walk because they've been taken over by Muslims and women are not allowed out on the street unaccompanied. Why why that's not an outrage, I, I don't know. But people just have started to say no. And the problem is, who do you think, when you talk about government by elites, who do you think is funding these guys' campaigns on both the right and the left, right? It's not, it's not a different bunch of people. I mean, it's the same elite people funding both the right and the left. So these guys have got to choose between Donald Trump and the people who give them money. And the press knows it, and they are hammering them. They are hammering them. I mean, you see it with uh, Betsy DeVos, who is their, uh, who is the education um, Pick, Trump's education pick, who I think is terrific because she supports all these charter schools, but but this this corrupt teachers union that runs the Democrat Party is out to get her, and so even the Republicans are starting to desert. And why? Because this is where the money is. The money is with globalism. The money is not with nationalism. The only thing that's with nationalism is the people. And Trump is it's still early. Trump has not garnered the support that he will get if he turns the economy around, and then they won't be able to oppose him like this. But as long as they think there's weakness, they're going after the Republicans. That's what this, all this chaos is about. All right. I just before I get to stuff I like, I just want to mention uh, this film I watched that I think, think you might really like, a film called Don't Think Twice, about an improv troupe. It's with, I think it's Key. I can know is Key or Peel. I think it's, yeah, it's right. Key, right? Yeah, it's like, is the star. It is a really sweet little movie. I'm not going to tell you it's like an epic, great work of art, but a very sweet hour and a half little movie about this uh, improv troupe and this incredibly intense relationship between people who have to think in each other's minds, because when you're an improv, you have to read each other's minds. And one guy, Key, starts, gets a chance to go for the big time. He gets a chance to go for what is essentially Saturday Night Live. Here's a quick scene, uh, a charming scene where they're, they're just doing their improv routine. And we are the commune. So everything you see tonight is going to be improvised. And this show is really all about you guys. So we want to know, has anybody out here had a particularly hard day? And uh, something actually hard, like not like your roommate ate your yogurt. It was still shitty when you ate my yogurt last. Go ahead. Uh, I'm looking for an apartment, and it sucks. Like, why specifically does it suck? The only one I can afford has the bathroom in the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> Hi, great. Hi. Okay, so as you can see, we have uh, uh, there's two bedrooms. Lovely. Uh, here is the kitchen. Nice. Uh, there's a beautiful bathroom. Uh, is that a toilet? Yes, that is. The, the, to- the toilet is in the kitchen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, yes. who are they? They, they are... <laughs> They, uh, they are orphans. They are orphans. Uh, did, uh, did, did you say orphan? 
apartment. Yes, the apartment comes with orphans. Yes. <laughs> the apartment comes with orphans. Anyway, it's a really nice little study about how these people have to live inside each other's minds and what happens when you pull that organization. There start to be tensions on that organization. Very charming movie. I kept waiting for them to say something nasty and political, but they never did. It was just it's just a straightforward showbiz film. Really liked it. All right, so this week on Stuff I Like, I've been doing memoirs. And uh, since we're talking about immigration, I thought uh, if you've never read Angela Angela's Ashes, a memoir by Frank McCourt, it is absolutely terrific. It is one of it was written in 1996. It's the story of Irish American immigrants who suffer through poverty and alcoholism. Uh, part of it takes place here. Part of it takes place in a, in a, a, uh, back in Ireland. Uh, it is just riveting. I think this guy was an English teacher. Frank McCourt was an English teacher until he was 60. And then he wrote this book, which was a massive bestseller. But it is just riveting. And if you want to know what hardship is, if you want to know what hardship and immigration poverty looks like uh, back in the day, back when it was, you know, in these in these very, very tough times, this is a really good book. Here's a little, we have a little excerpt from it. Yeah. My father and mother should have stayed in New York where they met and married and where I was born. Instead, they returned to Ireland when I was four, my brother Maliki three, the twins Oliver and Eugene barely one, and my sister Margaret dead and gone. When I look back on my childhood, I wonder how I survived it all. It was, of course, a miserable childhood. The happy childhood is hardly worth your while. Worse than the ordinary miserable childhood is the miserable Irish childhood, and worse yet, <laughs> is the miserable Irish Catholic childhood. <laughs> it's really People good. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's really good stuff. It's just a, it's just absolutely riveting and uh, brings you back to an America that's kind of gone, but still, uh, but not forgotten, and really, uh, really terrific stuff. Angela's Ashes, a memoir by Frank McCourt. All right, I am off to Washington, D.C., so if you send your mailbag question, I'm going to the, uh, I'm invited anyway to the National Prayer Breakfast, where Trump is supposed to be, so I will be able to take your questions directly to the president. So especially if you're asking, you know, biblical questions, uh, religious questions, I'll be able to get, get, take them right to the source. Uh, Trump is coming to the National Prayer Breakfast. I think this year we're actually praying to him. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little change. No, I'm joking. It's a little change of pace. Uh, but anyway, that's where I will be, and I will try to broadcast from D.C. DC, but send in your questions, and I will answer them from there, which will give me a certain air of authority, I think, right? It will be a little bit different. All right, I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We will, if all goes well, be back again tomorrow.